After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if we've learned anything, guys, it's that there's always a catch. So when I heard that for a limited time, all Mint Mobile wireless plans are 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan, I thought, what's the catch? But after talking to them, it all made sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly on to you. I haven't skipped a beat using Mint Mobile services. I have a great service even when I'm traveling for over less than 70% of what I was paying before. Listen to Uncle Chael and say bye-bye to your overpriced wireless plans, jaw-dropping monthly bills and unexpected overages. Mint Mobile is here to rescue you with premium wireless plans starting at 15 bucks a month. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash chael. That's mintmobile.com slash chael. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash chael. $45 upfront payment required. That's equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tacova's is your first stop for the best in Western style. And by the way, you don't have to be into the Western look to grab a good-looking pair of boots. I recently got a pair of ostrich skin round-tip boots, and I'm warm with my suit. These boots are so versatile that I can throw them on with a full head-to-toe suit. And Anthony Smith came right up to me and he's asking me where I got them. Well, I told him the only place to get them, Tacovas. And they have a seasonal limited edition offering. It's right now, this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, accessory, and more. My wife just surprised me with the ostrich wallet and a belt for my birthday, in case you've seen me. I feel like I look pretty sharp in it. I truly do. And Tacova's has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Plus, their direct-to-consumer pricing keeps value on your feet and money in your pocket. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary beverage or two, and shop for new styles. The smell of fresh leather and a friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience quite like it. If you can't make it into the store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and they ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your favorite pair of boots today. What's happening, guys? Happy Wednesday! 
and thank you for joining another special episode of your welcome coming up on today's show i'm going to give you details behind the drama of ufc 258 i'll talk about tj dillashaw's path back and why frankie edgar is in the exact same spot today that he was in last week in a moment here i'll talk about another meeting between khabib and dana white but before that i gotta tell you about nate diaz so Nate Diaz is struck again, and the problem you have when Nate Diaz speaks is people listen, people care. When I say the problem you have, what I mean is if you are in that division and Nate wants something, a large part of Nate getting it is going to be Nate saying, I want it, right? I mean, it's a problem. Right when you think you got everything sorted out and who's who and here's where the players are, if Nate speaks up, it becomes a problem. Because now people are going to listen. And by the way, when Nate finally decided to speak up, guess where his words landed? ESPN. So every fighter out there who would like to have a message that somehow and some way eventually got to ESPN, Nate had the ability to give the interview to the world's largest sports network. This is where it becomes a problem. It becomes a problem if you think, okay, I got everything figured out. I got everything situated. Here's the players on the board, and here's going to be my strategy moving forward. The other thing that Nate does, unintentionally, is he doesn't say very much very often. It's, it's very easy to water your message down. That's a risk you have to take and a road you got to choose very early on. I'll personalize this by just telling you I felt it. I felt my material and my messaging weakening and watering down when I had more cameras put in my face. And the one reward that you get for being good at doing interviews is you get more interviews. The one thing you get for doing a free interview is you get to do more free interviews. So you have to ask yourself very early on, is, is this a part of my career that I want invoked in my career? A Conor McGregor would say yes. Chael said yes. That doesn't mean it's right. That doesn't mean Connor doesn't regret same way that I am not saying that I don't regret because you can water a message down and then you can have people coming to you for that quick clip. And so then you begin to pocket those and you begin to pull those out so that nobody leaves disappointed. But at the same time, you can become a character of yourself. Nate Diaz follows the most basic law of economics, which is supply and demand. If you spent 15 minutes studying economics, you've wasted 14. Supply and demand, it is all you have to know. So he is a huge demand. He offers very little supply, which is one of the reasons he ends up on ESPN. I mean, in all fairness, which is why he's a problem. The boys in, in Vegas are going to sit down on the second floor every Tuesday, and they're going to have a plan until Nate speaks up. And now all of a sudden, there's going to be a new conversation. It's just one of these things. He's very powerful. But Nate came out, and he called out to everybody's love, Oliveira, and he called out to everybody's love, Poirier. With a typical Nate swerve at the end, which is at 170, or 165, or 185, anywhere but 155. So, then you sit there, you go, okay, what are we doing here? Like, Poirier is very clearly going to fight for a title shot. I don't know if anybody more clear deserves and or is going to fight for a title shot besides Dustin Poirier, and now even Poirier take the bait. Poirier responded instantly and said, great, closer to my natural weight class, meaning I'll leave the division too. I have no problem with it. I don't think you guys do. Great. Nate and Poirier, I don't give a damn what, fight, what weight they're fighting at. Great. 
Let's get Nate and Poria together. I'm telling you, Dana will. Dana is very open to adaptation, except when it comes to division. I mean, he really has a consistency over his career, dating back 20 years, to his own belief in what a division means and where a contenders fight and why it matters. And if you went over the 20 years Dana's been in charge, you could only find exceptions. He's You'd need one hand to find the exceptions. I could probably do them off the top of my head. Allowing Connor to bounce around a little bit. Allowing Connor, well, come back to Connor, to go fight Floyd. I mean, that's outside of Dana's wheel, but he made an exception. I think that you would have to put James Tony, Brock Lesnar, and CM Punk all into the same pile. Where Dana doesn't like to do that, but every every now and then. You put just enough years in between it, okay, I'll, we're going to do something a little different. We're going to do something weird. we have some fun. But every everything else, he's just very straight. I just don't see where Dana is going to allow. He'll let, they can go 170, no problem. 165 is a weight class that simply doesn't exist. So he's not going to do 165, but 170 is close enough, five pounds. The problem he would have is to put his number one contender, Pore, up there on a one-off. I know what you guys are going to say. Come back to Connor. You're going to talk about Connor going up. Take it on Cowboy. I'm, I'm on your side. I'm with you. I have no problem whether that fight's out of the division or even not for a title. Every now and then, you get two guys you want to see fight that want to fight each other. I agree with you. Make the fight. I don't agree with you that Dana will do it. I don't. Oliveira's got the same problem as Poirier. As far as trying to guess what Dana's going to think, that's ultimately what we're always doing, isn't it? Whenever we make a guess, well, you know, I think this is going to happen. I think this is going to happen. What, what we're really saying is, here's what I think Dana's going to think. Here's what I think Dana's opinion's going to be. That's what we're always talking about when we attempt to make a guess. I'm inserting myself here. I'm inserting myself, but that's the golden rule. What would you do if you were in that same situation? So I don't mean to put myself in, but one more time, I was in a fight with Lyota Machida for one night. It was around 2010, and I got a call. It was Joe Silva. Everything's on. Me and Machida. Had a date, had everything, and I went to the gym that night. I was training with Clayton, and I told him Machida. And I remember that night, I think I remember it more clearly because I did not want to fight Machida. I was willing to, and I was going to, and nobody ever would have known I didn't want to, but I did. That was just a weird style. That my teammates had already tried, Randy and Dan had already tried it, already failed at it. Okay, I gotta go figure this guy out. But I share that with you because the next day, that fight was presented to Dana. After it was already agreed on, Dana hadn't heard about it. Dana hears about it and says, absolutely not. Those are two top contenders that are going to go into title fights. I'm not going to have those guys fight for no reason and eliminate. One of them gets eliminated. Now, I only bring that story to you because I feel as though being armed with the way Dana's mind works with my own situation with Lyoto, that that's what you run into when you have Poirier and you have Oliveira. You have two guys who could go fight for the title. You have two guys that are going to fight for the title. And so to make believe that you're going to take either one of those two guys, bump them up against Nate, when Nate is saying, I'm not coming down, it's a little bit different, guys. It really is, because I know the example you're thinking. You're thinking, well, what, why did Connor get a fight Cowboy? But if you'll recall, Dana came out on that fight and said, openly, don't forget that fight was January 20th, because Dana said, look, it's the holidays. These are 255-pounders, and neither of them wants to cut weight. I want you to view this fight as though it's 255-pounders fighting at 55. I want the rankings to reflect it. 
I want the elevation and the immersion of the net. Whoever wins this fight is coming back to 55 and will go into a ranked contenders fight based on the outcome of this. I want you to look at it as two 55-pounders fighting. They're going to do it at 170. It's the holidays. I bring that to you because you can't put that same logic to work as it involves Diaz. And it doesn't matter if you're taking Poirier or Oliveira. If you bump him up to fight Diaz and Diaz beats him, but he's already said, I'm never going to 55. Then the question does remain, then why did we do this fight? Is it just a personal grudge? Is it just to get Nate back? Is this the big box office draw? Why? Is Nate going to stay at 170? Does he want ranking matches at 170? If the answer to that is yes, then I'll just put him with a 170-pounder right now. I'll grab Tyron Woodley, and I'll, I'll grab Nate Diaz, and I'll put him together at 170. Why am I going to put a guy who's staying at 170 with a 55-pounder? And even to go back to what Dana said about just imagine, imagine Connor and Donald are fighting. 255-pounders are going to fight. Ignore the weight. 255-pounders are going to fight. You can't do that same imagine when Nate is openly saying, I'm never going to 55. The question becomes, why are we challenging 55-pounders? And by the way, I'm making this argument in spite of my own wishes. I want Nate to fight Oliveira. I want Nate to fight Poirier. I want Nate to fight them both. I want Oliveira to fight Poirier. I want all of these things to happen. But I don't know how I'm going to get my wish. I don't know how I'm going to get my wish. Oh, and by the way, now it turns out Poirier wants to fight Nate. Great, you have two guys who want to fight each other. Two box offers, proven draws that want to fight each other. It's everything that we love about a fight. It's not what Dana loves about the fight. And that's ultimately whose mind you're trying to make up. Now, I think everybody can come together, including Dana. I think Dana signs right off on it. Boom. Somebody's going to have to give. We're going to have to do it at 155. You guys are going to have to leave the... Hey, Pori, you're number one contender at 55. You tell me you want to leave the division? I'll put you in the ranking mix at 170 now. See how you come out. Can't guarantee anything. Is that what you're telling me you want? I mean, you see the problem? And if we are going to put Nate at 170, it sounds as though we should discuss Nate and 170 pounders. It's just a mess. It's a mess because it's a miss, but it's only a miss by a... It's a miss by this much. We're this close. We're this close. We're this close to getting Nate back. More to come. Nate Diaz, as you know, wants to stay at 170, but of course used to fight at 155, which brings me to the latest with Khabib. Deja vu, Dana and Khabib are going to have a meeting. About what? I'm so curious why we keep meeting about meeting and talking about talking. I mean, I'm so curious about these things. I only know what I've been told, but I was told by Khabib, same as everybody else, to push the buy button on the pay-per-view and watched him say, I'm not coming back. I'm done. He has done countless interviews of smaller constitutes since then. Not one of them has he ever hedged. He's done. That doesn't mean that Dana doesn't have a different opinion. That's why I'm asking. I'm asking the question. What is it in some of these meetings? Where is the hedge? Where is the maybe? What are these guys meeting about? I mean, it's one of these things where we have to elect ourselves mayor of Get the Hintville. I mean, right, you, can, you can't do this in a whole lot of other relationships. I will tell you that much, okay? If the girl tells you she doesn't want to go to the dance and you keep on calling her, ask her, I mean, eventually her mom's going to get on the phone and say, hey, Jenny, Mar quit calling here. I mean, it's one of these things where I'm going, 
What are they talking about? What is there to talk about? We have one decision to make. Do we let him give the belt back, which happened 11 weeks ago, or do we take it off the son of a bitch? That's it. From a marketing standpoint, that is your belt. Do you want, on the record, somebody to walk away from it, or do you want to strip him? What am I missing here? And if he wants to come back to try to collect a championship, all right, go right ahead. That story works every single time. But if we continue to act as though Khabib is the best in the world, what are we doing to the next two guys? I mean, as a byproduct, but what are we doing to those two guys? Particularly if it's a veteran. Khabib is out there saying very beautiful things, by the way. It's very nice of Khabib the way that he massages and puts Dustin Poirier over. When I watched that fight, I did not feel as though that was Khabib's hardest fight. But Khabib must have. Khabib has a true like and appreciation of Dustin Poirier. It's very nice the way Khabib talks about him. But Khabib is coming out and saying things like, Dustin deserves to be champion. And then fill in the blank. I don't know that there's any statement that you could say that would hold up amongst a reasonable jury as to who, how a guy who fought for the championship and got stomped out deserves to be champion. Like, I don't really understand how any of that works. But I do understand more of the messaging by Khabib, which is I would really like for a guy who I beat to go on and run with the belt for a little bit because every match that he has and wins, it continues to serve and put me over. I get that side of it. The worst thing that could happen for Khabib, and I don't know that anything bad could happen to Khabib, in all fairness. You go out 29-0 and on your own terms, I don't know that anything bad could happen. But if you wanted to list them, and you wanted the thing that he would like least to happen is for a guy to come in who was there during his era, meaning Khabib's era, grab the strap and run with it and show I'm the best ever. Oh, and by the way, you never beat me. I was better than you even when you were here. It's exactly what Evander Holyfield did to Mike Tyson, and it is the problem that Charles Oliveira would serve to Khabib and his legacy, at least in the short term. If Oliveira goes in and he beats everybody that Khabib beats, and he beats them just as easy, if not easier, it is going to be a very real stigma that, hey man, you were never the best. I just didn't get my chance. It's like, that is literally what happened to Evander Holyfield. When Evander finally got in there with Mike Tyson, it wasn't a different era situation. And this was the case that Evander had to make. As a matter of fact, Evander was older than Tyson by two years. So this isn't a different era. This isn't you got out of your prime. This is you were never the world champion, not one day of your life. Not one day ever, no matter how much they put that belt around you and the media lied. I have always been here and I could always beat you. This is fake and you know it. And if it's not, then come and prove it. And as soon as Evander started to tell that story, it was very captivating. And when Evander did beat Mike and not have very hard of a time doing it, it did make you wonder, was there ever a day Tyson was truly the best in the world? And in the dirty, filthy world that is boxing, you can put a belt around anybody, no problem, and keep all of the right guys off. They're doing it today. Right now, there's guys with belts that aren't the best in the world, but the promoters and the managers keep them apart. It's not supposed to be that way in MMA, and I don't suggest for you that it is. What I suggest for you is that one of the reasons you keep hearing Khabib say all these nice things about Poirier is very self-serving. This guy's great. This guy's incredible. Oh, well, yeah, I, I, I beat him. Yeah. But as this isn't about me, this is about him. Look, that's human nature. Khabib's doing nothing wrong. Every fighter plays it the same way. I am just sharing for you. If Khabib was to step aside and go, no, man, you want to know who the best guy is? It's, it's this Oliveira. Whew, what a fighter. What an up-and-comer. Wow. 
you see where that becomes problematic. Wait, Oliveira's the best. Oliveira was there when you were there. Should have you not been champion and it should have been Oliveira? You see where it becomes a problem. It's a small problem. I fully admit, this is a very small problem. It's going to be very hard for a guy like Oliveira, who has eight losses within the organization, to ever make a dent into the legacy of Khabib that's got a big old goose egg. I get it. I'm just sharing with you the psychology of Khabib by coming out and putting over the guys who he beat, as opposed to shining up an Oliveira or shining up a Michael Chandler. That wouldn't serve his purposes, which is why that's happening, but I'm still lost on what are they meeting about? What are we meeting about? Because there's a talk that Connor and Dustin Poirier is being targeted by May. That's a rumor that started on a dirt sheet that I read called bloodyelbow.com, but I read it as early as today. If that fight is going to be done, but we're dangling Khabib coming back, does that mean we still don't take the belt off the son of a bitch? Or if in fact he does come back, then do Connor and Poirier just go fight for the sake of fighting and the winner advances into Khabib? I mean, I, I don't get the whole thing. Take the belt off of him. It's your belt. And he tried to give it back. Take the belt off of him. And I feel as though even more over than that and the marketing of the belt is the oddness of the North American fan who continues to act as though they love Khabib. I have been to almost every Khabib fight. One was sold out. And I realize there's a region and a part of the world that this guy is massive, but it's massive beyond what you understand. And none of you were clamoring to see Khabib. None of you paid your money. None of you went out. And all of you thought that little hat that he wore was weird until he retired. Once he retired, now you guys miss Khabib so much. Stories get retold. They get retold in a very short period of time. No sports story has ever been more retold and mistold in my lifetime than Conor McGregor versus Floyd Mayweather. That is a thing of fiction. If you go read about that, you just read fiction. If you read the scoring of those rounds, you read fiction. If you read the revenue of that fight, you have read fiction. That was only a few years ago. And I feel as though I can't keep saying any more story has been more rewritten falsely in retrospect. I feel as though I can't keep saying Connor versus Floyd. I feel as though I'm going to have to start saying the popularity of Khabib. You guys don't care. You guys never cared. There's parts of the world that do. I'm talking to you. Until he left. Take your belt back. It's your belt. No more meetings. This episode of Your Welcome is brought to you by American Giant. Guys, I'm a simple man. I would say that my style is simple and classic. My wife helps me out with that, of course, but I recently found out. In the 1960s, the average American only bought 25 items per year. Today, we average closer to 70 items a year. And despite buying two and a half times more clothes, we only keep them half as long. Can you believe that? This is where American Giant comes in. They believe clothes should be wearable for years, so you don't have to buy more than you need, and you don't have to throw them out. I ordered the classic full zip. I got the V-neck tee and a heavyweight long sleeve, and I gotta tell you guys, I love them. They're comfortable, they fit good, I get compliments. There's not a lot else that you want in your clothing, and if you're like me and you prefer a classic style, that will last beyond the season, I highly recommend American Giant. 
Not only are you getting quality clothes made to last, but you'll also be supporting a supply chain that's 100% in the USA while also taking a stand for the hardworking people and jobs in U.S. communities. Right now, American Giant is offering to my listeners, that's you, 15% off your first order when you use the promo code CHAIL at AmericanGiant.com. That's American-Giant.com. Use the promo code CHAIL. You're going to get 15% off. Two of the sport's most respected fighters step back into the octagon this weekend, and they're going to compete for the welterweight championship. DraftKings, the official daily fantasy partner of UFC, is giving you a shot at huge cash prizes. For this weekend's fight, DraftKings is offering new players a shot at millions of dollars in total prizes. If you haven't tried it yet, fantasy MMA is easy to play. Just pick six fighters. Stay under the salary cap and pile up points for advances, takedowns, and more. There's no better way to put your MMA knowledge to the test than to compete for a shot at millions of dollars in total prizes. Plus, don't forget about basketball and hockey, where DraftKings has even more money up for grabs this weekend. DraftKings is safe, it's secure, it's reliable, so you can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. Download the DraftKings app right now. Use the promo code CHAIL. That's going to get you a shot at millions of dollars in total prizes throughout the week. That's promo code CHAIL for a shot at millions of dollars in total prizes only at DraftKings. Minimum $5 deposit. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. Usman Burns, I got to tell you guys, I have not got what I wanted out of this. I haven't. There is a story here. It's a story that everybody would get and relate to, which is teammate versus teammate. And let me tell you guys the backstory. I'll tell you where I'm talking about I'm not getting what I wanted. But let me give you the backstory real fast. Okay, Burns, Usman, training partners, teammates, same weight class, same organization of the UFC, same dreams, helping one another. Good friends, helping one another. Usman leaves the gym, goes to Colorado, start training with Trevor Whitman. Working out every day, Justin Gaethje, just by example, right? Great gym. Sure, he's getting an awesome workout. But when he left, Henry Hoof and the coaching staff of that gym they were at said, we want the 70-pound belt back, back in our gym. And we have the guy to go get it. It's him. It's Kamaro's teammate, Kamaro's friend, and Kamaro's training partner. And we know he can beat him. So what I'm telling you, I never got what I wanted. I want to hear more about that. Why, why do you know he can beat him? What is it that you saw in the room? And we have seen stories like this where they push back, but then you don't get the fight. I mean, one example would be Chuck versus Tito, if you want to go back. Those guys worked out together, and Chuck beat him in the room every day. So Tito goes on, he was more charismatic. He was a bigger character. The company pushed him, but they kept him away from Chuck. Tito was very happy with that. Tito knew I cannot beat Chuck. Chuck never said anything. Chuck was his friend. Those workouts, that all meant something to Chuck until it didn't. And eventually enough time went by and Chuck goes, man, I got a window too. And I deserve to get whatever I am good enough to get. And that includes the world championship, friend. 
And Tito started doing the, wow, you know, we're friends, we're friends. You know, Chuck's going, yeah, it's easy for you to say when you're on top of the bill and you're making all the money and you're recognized for what you are as the world champion, but I'm better than you. And so all of a sudden you had trouble in paradise, but they avoided that fight for a meaningful period of time because of that narrative. Usman didn't flinch once. Kamaru Usman not one time said, hey man, I wish Burns all the best, but he's he's my brother. I'm not going to fight. He, Usman didn't flinch once. And Usman has also never come out to tell his side of things, which is, I, don't, I have the foggiest idea how these coaches or anybody can see us training every day together for six years and think that he's better. Usman said nothing. Typical Usman style. Burns has also said nothing. Burns has also had an extremely gentleman approach, which is nothing to do with Usman. Nothing personal, no beltbacks, no anything. We're in the same division, doing the same thing, under the same rules, with the like-minded goals. But that doesn't serve me. Chael wants, what's the story? And there's always some give and take, right? There's always multiple versions. Well, you know, on a stand-up day, I, I really fought, felt like Kamaru got the best of them. And on a pure wrestling day, you know, and then, you know, we had, we had jujitsu practices and it kind of looked like in these positions, but you start to get this push and pull, you start to get this back and forth. We had a glimpse of this recently, five, six months ago. Henan Barrow weighs in on when Peter Yawn used to come and train with them. And them, of course, included Jose Aldo. And, and Henan Barrow said, look, I saw those guys go a lot. Peter Yawn's a total stud. I have never seen Jose Aldo lose one round in practice to him. Talking about Yawn. And as small and light as that might be, that's very interesting. That's a story that doesn't go away. That is a story that happens somewhere along the way with like Lennox Lewis and Mike Tyson. And they got to work at it way back in the Cusimato days. So they were kids, 19, 20, 21, still coming through the amateur, still bright eyes on amateur world, amateur Olympic aspirations. And Cusimato said, don't bring that guy in here anymore. Talking about Lennox Lewis. Keep him away. Keep him away. And Lewis never told that story until they were both grown men. And Lewis came out and told anybody that would listen, man, I whipped this I whipped this guy when we were kids. I whipped him so bad they kept us apart. I whipped him so bad they wouldn't give me my opportunity. He was the big draw, and I speak with this funny accent. They didn't want to use me. And all of a sudden, we started telling us, oh, my God, I guess we got to get these guys together. It was one of those things, but those training room stories are extremely real, and they're extremely valuable, particularly when guys have a different opinion. I was there. I was at Team Quest in the room every day when Tim Sylvia came out and trained with Randy Couture. Randy then retired. Tim went on to be the champion of the world. Randy comes out of retirement to challenge Tim Sylvia. And I was there. I watched. I watched what happened. And Randy did beat him. They were very hard workouts. Randy did beat him. Well, Tim came in very openly and talked about it. He said, man, I was out there training with him in his gym. I was staying with him. And I respect him. So I took it easy on him. And it was very compelling for me because then I would think back to those workouts. Well, you know, there was some positions where Tim did look like he was going a little lighter than I saw Tim go with the rest of the guys. So let's say Tim was holding out, and I think he was. I think Tim Sylvia told the truth. It was holding out enough, if he hadn't hold out, to beat Randy. And this is ultimately what the fight was about. But there's something compelling about that. And I haven't got this on this fight. I haven't got it because these two are gentlemen and they're competitors first, right? And if you're a competitor first followed by being a gentleman and you're not a showman or a sportsman, then we're not going to see these things. 
So these guys get a ton of credit. They've handled everything where I got no problem with it. I'm just surprised that nobody's leaked. Teammates leak. Telephone, telegraph, or telefighter, the story's going to get out. No one's leaked. And the most that we've got the coaches to say was, we want our belt back. And this is the guy to get it. Now, for me, those are fighting words. Those are headline worthy. Those are awesome. I didn't get enough of them. I wanted a little more. The best at 170 pounds will be on display Saturday. And some of the top guys at 135 fought last weekend, which has me thinking. I was at bloodyelbow.com, and uh, they do this after every fight. After every fight, uh, they call the section winners and losers, and what should be next for the losers of the fight, and what should be next for the winners. And they're very good. I mean, they really do a good job with their ideas in matchmaking. If you were to study it, over history or a period of time, you'd be stunned how many times they get it right. How many times, well, you know, I think this guy should fight this guy, and here's why, and I think these two should be matched up, and here's why. They get it right all the time. But the Sandhagen one is a little bit tough, and Bloody Elbow has Sandhagen as sitting out to take on the winner of Aljo and Yawn. And there's a couple of moving parts there. I mean, let's say Aljo goes out and runs over Yawn. Say it happens. Say it's a minute fight for whatever reason. Catches him, dominates him better than him, knocks him out, chokes him out, but it's a really quick fight. You're going to try to repackage Aljo versus Sandhagen that was a 40-second match. Based on what? How would you repackage that? I mean, Aljo, if he gets over on Jan, is going to, so far and away, and particularly if he destroys Jan, if he destroys him, I'm mean, Aljo's stock, he's going to go so far and away, it's not going to make any level of sense to take him back one fight that he, it was 40 seconds and he never got hit once. It's going to be tough. It's a tough sell. If Aljo goes out and beats Jan, but it's a long, drawn-out war, now you're having a different conversation. Hey, Aljo got lucky. He steamrolled me. He got one position. We got to see this again. Sandhagen's got two knockouts, including former world champion, future Hall of Famer Frank Yeager. It becomes a little bit different. But I'm bringing that to you because the idea of having anybody sit out, the only guy who has ever sat and waited that I can remember, I'm very good at this, top of my head, I will, I will admit, this isn't a factual statement, only guy I can ever remember sitting out being declared a number one contender. And defining sitting out is this. The guy becomes the number one contender, but the title fight is still out there. So they wait this guy, tell the title fight, and then he comes in against the winner. The oh, is happening right now, and Ngano. I cannot recall a time that has ever happened. Generally, the champion is available. There's a fight. Boom, you're the number one contender. Get these boys together. I've never seen it in this reverse order that I can think of. So if you're suggesting... That the second time ever this is going to happen, it's going to happen for Sanhagen when a possible opponent that he could have is a guy that just rolled over him in 40 seconds. Let's say it's not, and Jan gets Sterling out of there. Well, now you have the MMA math of a guy that destroyed a guy who destroyed the guy. I mean, you see the problem? It's, it's not as easy as Bloody Elbow was making it sound. I do agree with you in many ways. Sanhagen versus Aljo for us hardcores, I mean, that, that's going to work. There was something that happened in that 40 seconds, whatever it was. Mentally, Sanhagen, locker room, whatever it was, where we all do commonly believe that was not an equal adjudication of their true skills and how competitive they would be. But that's not the sell that you're looking to put on this. You're looking to either put hold Sandhagen out to put him in there with a guy that got rid of him in 40 seconds or to put him in there with a guy who got rid of the guy that got rid of him in 40 seconds. It's not as easy as you think. 
I don't think that this is cut and dry. And it does bring you back to what is Dillashaw doing? And what is the holdup? And what is going on there? And TJ's a competitor. He is not going to step aside from anybody. Not in the back. Not behind closed doors. No contract will get in the way of TJ Dillashaw trying to pursue his goal to be world champion. And that includes if he has to go through Sanhagen. I'm just sharing with you. TJ, that's not going to be a problem. But I am wondering what the holdup is. It would seem to me all roads for TJ Dillashaw need to lead right into Uriah Faber's driveway. But I'm the only one saying that. I don't even hear those two saying it. I'm a little bit alone on that one. So maybe I got to get off it and move on. And I don't know that, that Dillashaw versus Faber works after Dillashaw has other matches. I, I don't know that it works. I think that there's a real relevance to bringing him in on the back of a two-year layoff against an older Uriah Faber. I mean, I mean, I think that that's why it works. If TJ goes out there and reminds the world of his brilliance and he's just as good as where he left, I, I, I don't know that you're going to get that match. And if you come back to my original argument that TJ's a straight-up competitor, TJ's got to be studying this and seeing Sanhagen position himself and going, I'm available, I'm, I'm going to go jump on the Sanhagen bandwagon. It's either that or TJ's going to just put all his chips in, go, well, they're going to call one of us to fight the winner of Jan Sterling. I'm going to cross my fingers that it's me, particularly since Sandhagen already fought 50% of that match. If you're trying to position yourself and your TJ Dillashaw, you've got to look at the board and you've got to look at the pieces and go, okay, there appears to not be a, a number one contender. Maybe it's Sandhagen, but I don't know that I'm buying that. I don't know that I'm buying that, or maybe it's me. So I can go out and I can try to get something going with Sandhagen and we can just make this crystal clear, or I can do nothing and just wonder if my phone's going to ring. I mean, that's the game that you're playing. That's likely what TJ is sitting there wondering. I'm just curious what the holdup is with Dillashaw. There was a countdown. I don't know that TJ Dillashaw has ever been in a higher demand than coming off of this suspension. Everywhere I go, there's a TJ Dillashaw headline. And it's been this way for four months. Suspension's almost up. Final week of suspension. Suspension's up. TJ Yellowbulch for license. I mean, whatever it was, it was all built around the story that he was stuck in timeout for a little bit. His name is out there everywhere. It came and went in terms of his eligibility. It came and went. I still don't hear an announcement. So I, I don't know that sitting Sandhagen out, I mean, that is, uh, appears to be, that would be a fine choice, in all fairness. That would be a fine choice. I don't know that that's the one, that if you just look at a short period of time, I just don't know that that's the one. How are you going to repackage him and Aljo? There's an answer. There's a way to do that. How are you going to do that? That's what I'm asking. What would the way be? Then if the guy who stomped him out in 40 seconds gets stomped out, now what do you do? Well, there's parody, and that's what this sport's all about. Golly gee, okay, I, okay. It's as good a plan as any. And it's like music. There's only so many notes. There's, there's so only, only so many athletes. But it does appear that we're down to two. Sandhagen, because of two incredible knockouts as of late. Dillashaw, because he was the champion that never lost the belt. Am I the only one? Why are we talking about getting Sandhagen and putting him on ice for a potential fight? Why are we not putting him with Dillashaw? And moreover, my question to you is, who are we putting with Dillashaw? So that's the deal with the top dogs at 135. So let's now focus on the man Corey Sanhagen knocked out. A lot of people are calling for Frankie's retirement. That's, that's where this comes from. I'm fine with that. Frankie can retire now. Frankie could have retired years ago. But nothing has changed for Frankie. That's the only thing I'm bringing to you. That fight is not indicative of Frank. That was a knee that would have put down a farm animal. 
No problem. I mean, that, that's the way that's going to go if you get hit with that knee. But what I'm suggesting for you, and here's the reality that Frankie is going to need to come to, I think, to get Frankie right in the back, back in the right frame of mind. Get him back up and get him pushing. For, he's going to need a little motivation right now, like anybody. That's not the way he wanted that to go. But the tough news is also the good news. And the tough news is, hey, Frankie, you are in the exact same spot today as you were a week ago today. You are not going to fight for a championship again. And that's a real hard, that's a real hard thing. But that's the reality. Frankie is not going to fight for a championship again. As of losing that fight, he's not going to fight for a championship again. What if he beaten Sandhagen? He's not going to fight for the championship again. There is nothing different in Frankie's career. Frankie is a top draw, former world champion, future Hall of Famer. Everybody like he's my favorite fighter. Think I judge a guy because he got hit with a knee? Come on. I mean, I'm just saying it's one of these things where nothing has changed. Nothing. If he would have beaten Sandhagen and started calling for a title fight, that's when he would have hit with the cold hard reality of, hey, man, we're not putting you in for a title fight. Now or ever. Well, who do I got to beat? You know what? We're not putting you in for a title fight. Well, what about Dillashaw? He's available. What if I go beat him? We're not putting you in for a title fight. That's the reality. That was the part that I don't know that Frankie let in. I don't know that Frankie needs to let that in or ever or ever agree with me. He needs to go out there and do what motivates him. But the real truth is nothing's different for Frankie. He hasn't lost one fan. He hasn't lost one bit of respect. He doesn't change in the rankings. He took a knee. Only thing any of us would say to Frank is, hey, man, you okay? You good? All right. And that's it. There's no disrespect to Frank. Frank. He did nothing wrong. He fought very well. He looked very good. It was a quick fight. He came in. Sandhagen jumped him, hit him in the face. I'm only sharing with you. Nothing's different for Frankie today. And there's not a lot of guys you can say that about. Things are different for some guys. Even within that car, there were some guys with some real momentum, and that momentum got stopped, and they're going to have to rebuild. It was just one of those processes. Frankie was in a spot where he has been there, done that, had this opportunity, had that opportunity, won this championship, gave the championship back. It was one of these things. He's done everything. What a wonderful spot. He's a co-main eventer. He will not be less than a co-main event in his next fight. He is in a great spot. He's in the same spot. I would like to see Frankie for the first time in his career, right? The old expression is never too late. For the first time in his career, I would like to see him go after an opponent. And Frankie hasn't even done that with the championship. He has said things like, I want a title fight or I want a championship fight. He'll take on whoever's got it. I would encourage Frankie to just be specific one time. See how you like it. See how it works. See the reception that the audience will give, but say a name. There was nothing wrong even a week ago in saying, I want to fight Sterling. There'd be nothing wrong with saying, I want to fight Yawn. Be nothing wrong today saying, I want to, f-, and fill in the blank. And I don't know that Frankie is going to do that, wants to do that, or is looking for Chael's nickel worth of free advice. It's what I would like to see. Frankie most certainly does not need to retire. And some people said that because of that. He can retire, but he could have retired years ago. Rested on his laurels, lived the rest of his life, and felt great. He can do that same thing today. Nothing has changed for Frankie. Lose a little prestige and a couple bucks. That's it. Nothing has changed. His stock has not dipped one bit. Mark my words. And, and the only reason I'm, I'm really encouraging Frankie to specifically say a name is to just add that little sprinkle of interest. That little sprinkle of interest just to assure and reassure that he does keep his co-main or main event spot. Frankie has been bouncing between he's a main event or a co-main event every fight that he's had and I don't even know how long. 
2008, 2000, I don't even know. Top guy. But to keep that, to really solidify, just add a little bit more interest than you generally do to your next match. And you can do that real easy with a specific opponent. Be anybody for any reason. Doesn't have to be the low-hanging fruit of go talk trash or say something. Doesn't have to be anything. A specific guy and give us a specific reason. Could come from respect. Add that little sprinkle. And I can assure you, he's not losing anything, including his placement. To close out today's show, John Jones is at it again. John Jones is starting the conversation that he is a GOAT. Okay. But when I say he struck again, John continues to use the same argument, which is numbers, and it annoys me. But I don't know that he's wrong. I might be the one that's wrong here. Right? I mean, if you have two businessmen, we're both businessmen and I have more money than you, and you ask a group of people who's the better businessman, they're pro- whoever has the most money, they're probably going to give that award to, right? I mean, there's a lot of things in life where numbers matter. I push back at it on John only because... I see the beauty in being able to extend your career. I think you will be looked back more fondly if you have an ability to successfully extend your career. But that is where the numbers come in. Right? John has defended the title. He put something up. He's defended it like 14 times, and Anderson did it 12 times. Amanda Nunez was on the list. She's done it seven times, but he put a list out. And because he had defended the title more than anybody else, he therefore was the GOAT. Now, John might be the GOAT. He's not getting my vote. But he's in the top three even on my vote, right? And I don't like him. So I got a bias. I still got to put him in the top three. I just reject his premise that he has to have those numbers. When I was getting ready to compete with John, we were on a conference call. And John had weighed in and said, I really want to beat Chael because if I do, I will have tied Tito Ortiz for the greatest light heavyweight ever. And I remember hearing that even as a naysayer and as his upcoming opponent go, wait wait a minute, you think you got to, you don't know that you're better than Tito Ortiz? Is that real? Is that really coming out of your mouth? You think there's a question, John, of whether you are better than Tito Ortiz? But John did. He was very sincere. Well, no, Tito's better. Tito's better. Why, why would Tito be better than you? Well, you know, he defended it six times, and I've only done it five times. If I can beat Chael, then I'll, I'll at least have tied him for the best ever. Now, I bring that story to you because it was organic and real and at least lets you into John's mindset. He is not trying to sugarcoat things. He is not trying to paint a beautiful picture. Before he had the numbers, he was not coming out and saying, I'm the best. I don't care if I have the numbers or not. I'm the be- I can beat anybody that came before me, which means I'm better than, than everybody, which he, would be true. If you can beat all the other guys, then you are better. He, but that's not how his mind worked. His mind worked upon the numbers, including when it did not serve him. Now, I'm bringing that to you because John has a level of sincerity here, and we know he's sincere because he was making the same argument even when it did not serve him, of saying things like, if I can get one more win, then I can tie Tito. And shockingly, shocking, this might surprise you, he did beat me. There's a little more to it. I mean, there were some nuances within the unified rules. But either way, they rose, they raised his hand. And then in his next contest, he won that one too. So then he came out with, I am the greatest ever. He never said it before. He gave it to Tito. And then for a period of time, he said, I'm equal to Tito. And then once he had seven and Tito was at C, he goes, okay, I'm the greatest ever. 
That doesn't make him right. There's not very many times in life when you want to go, okay, what's the right answer here? Let's ask Dum Dum Jones. I'm just here to share with you whether I like it or not that he is very sincere with his belief. I feel as though John could have stopped fighting five years ago. And whatever John's standing is in the sport today, he would still have back then. If he didn't have these numbers on his side, I think that people would still be very observant upon his abilities within that division. The greatest ever argument is not going to go to somebody who stayed within a division, though. We just live in a different era. This champ-champ business is very real. It's hard to dismiss what Henry Cejudo did. It's hard to dismiss what McGregor did. It's hard to dismiss what St. Pierre did. In fairness, it will be hard to dismiss if John Jones is able to get that heavyweight belt. But I think that that would be the dialogue. I think the only person that knew John defended that belt 14 times is John. When he put that graphic up today, I have the foggiest idea if that was true or not. I just accepted it. I will never know what the numbers are, but neither will anybody else. It's a little weird that John does now. I mean, right, I mean, it's a little bit of a narcissistic thing. If you were to ask me what my record was in anything I've ever done, grappling, wrestling, high, senior year, sophomore year, the foggiest idea. I don't know, because I'm not a nerd. All right, guys, that is it for today. Remember, if you like what you're hearing, you can download and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google. Leave me a review. Tell me what you like and what you don't like. I will be back on Friday, but until then, I'm Chael Sonnen, and you are welcome.